Well, today is a, a real treat here with the beginning of the Epistle of James. Um, I just got done listening to an audiobook on Joan of Arc. Remarkable, remarkable uh, saint, Joan of Arc. Her story is just um, really unbelievable. But throughout the, the story of, of Joan of Arc, what we see is uh, a person who comes from these common backgrounds and is... There's a certain kind of a beautiful frankness about this kind of earthy peasant woman. She's not, because she doesn't have any familiar familiarity with the kind of upper class, nobility, educated class, she has this ability to kind of speak straight to the matter. And uh, this, is, this is very much characteristic of Joan of Arc. It characterizes, I think, the best of the people who come from that kind of common person background. Um, and, uh, you know, I do think because of Christ's actual royal lineage uh, through St. Joseph, you can understand St. Joseph's lineage, at least, if not the Blessed Mother's, as a kind of a, um, there is like the this whole phenomenon of poor royalty that takes place, or poor nobility that takes place. So if you have ancient cultures that had a kind of a tradition of nobility, of noble blood, but then after many generations, they have noble blood, but they've lost all their property, they lost their dynasty, they lost their power, they've lost everything, and they're literally poor, but they have noble heritage. Um, and I, I do think that's actually true of, of the Holy Family. But with that said, though, they really are common people. They came from the common classes. Nazareth was a backwater and uh, it was, uh, archaeologists tell us today that the, t- the town couldn't have, couldn't have had more than 400 people in it in Jesus' day. Um, and, and this is the background that Jesus comes from. And reading here, St. James is a real treat because James is a relative of some sort of Jesus and grew up with him. So they came from together in Nazareth. If they didn't live under the same roof, they lived in close to each other and they were in constant contact with each other. So James, kind of in a certain sense culturally, sociologically, gives us a privileged access into the the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. And you see all throughout James that same kind of spirit of like, he's just so frank, he so cuts to the chase, he cuts through crap, he doesn't mince words, and he really tells it like it is. And he's not impressed with any anybody, okay? And he and he's the it's the best of the common man. Now the common man sometimes. You know they can be stupid. They can be. They can get wrapped up in the in the crowd and just kind of go along and, and succumb to peer pressure like everybody else. But the best, the most virtuous of those who who grow up in that environment have a real special knack, I think, for for a common man's ability to um, say it like it is. And we see that in James. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. What is he speaking about here? I think above all, he's talking about steadfast trust in God. Okay, Consider it joy when you encounter various trials. When you meet trials, your faith is tested and you grow in perseverance. And it's through perseverance that you become a person of real substance and integrity and your Christianity is proved and it becomes substantial. And it's not all talk and pie in the sky. It's real. And that's, that's what he's talking about. And he says... You know, if anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask from God. It's interesting because wisdom here in this context is a special 
intuition into the reality of your relationship with God and your um, place in, in the world. That's what wisdom here is in this context. It's not something that you acquire through academic um, endeavors, but you get it through life experience of going through trials and trusting in God through those trials and coming out on the other side stronger for it. And he says, but he's, I love it, he says, um, but ask in faith if you're going to ask for wisdom. Don't doubt. One who doubts is like a wave of the sea. That person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord, since he's a man of two minds. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You know, that's the kind of frank, <laughs> cut-to-the-chase kind of language that characterizes the entire epistle of James. And the faith that he's, asked, he's talking about here is not... The, the, it's not actually salvific faith, the faith by which we exercise um, belief in the word of God, okay, like the creedal faith. It's not creedal faith he's talking about here. He's talking about trust, okay, it's confidence that God is going to prove himself faithful to me personally. That's the kind of, that's the sort of faith he's talking about. I've got a beautiful passage from a book I've had the, had the privilege and pleasure to peruse through recently. It's an entire book written in the, in the 20s or so uh, by a priest, and it's on the virtue of trust. It's pretty neat, you know, really, really great, great uh, reflection on this virtue. And so this is, this is what he talks about. Trust grows through a lived life of prayer, not, you know, I say Hail Mary once a day or something like that. It's like steadfast waiting before God, Seeking his face, wanting his presence, putting your burdens and your troubles before him. Not watching the clock, but really giving God time. And then also through um, lived trials and coming out on this or those trials. So he says this, Finally and above all, knowledge of God must be a practical and experienced knowledge, personal and not impersonal. At whatever the cost, the world of theories must be left behind and the world of hard reality entered. Each must be able to say by meditation, by contemplation, by the whole of my spiritual life, by its struggles and defeats, no less than by its triumphs, that I know and I feel that God is my God, that Jesus is my Savior, that by constant trial in small but manifold ways I have proved God who is good to be good to me, that is, to me, his love is given, that it was for me, out of love for me, that Jesus died. Lastly, that I have realized that my life upon this earth is wholly dependent upon God. So it's a kind of knowledge, this is the wisdom that James is talking about. It's a wisdom, it's a knowledge that is experiential. And it, it, it's given to us or acquired by us two ways, both of which are hard work, through steadfast prayer, meditation upon the mysteries of God, and, uh, you know, there's this saying in Latin that's, it has to do with, uh, it's a play on words because wisdom in Latin is, um, like sapientia, okay? Uh, but then there's a, a verb that means to taste. It's sapere. So, sapientia and sapere is you, you acquire sapientia through this meditation and in God's presence to the point where you can taste God, meaning you experience Him in prayer, okay? It's not theory. It's experience. 
And that's how true wisdom is acquired. So it's through prayer, but then also through life's trials. And this is what James is talking about. Count and roll joy when you meet with various trials. They're not pleasurable, but they're joyful. See, there's two different things. You can have joy in the midst of trials and struggles and hardships and not give up. Um, you might not have pleasure, <laughs> but you can have joy. All right, Joy is much higher, much more transcendent than, uh, than, than pleasure is. Uh, so my brothers and sisters, let's, let's keep this in mind that uh, our true practical Christianity is, is acquired through hard work and prayer and through going through life's trials. So we thank God for the opportunity to pray this morning and we thank God for the various trials that he sends our way.